Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday School today. So the thing I love about Facebook uh, is you make one post about rat poison and the room fills up. So it's it's cool stuff. It's a good thing. Uh, So let's start this morning with our scripture memory passage review. So we got Galatians 5, 22 through 26. So any or all of those verses, if you know them, stand up and say them. So we got two, two. Going once, going twice, three. All right, Chris, you got it? Which ones are we doing? I think I got them all. You think you got them all? Awesome. All right. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, 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 anyway. Want me to start over? No, you're good. You got all, right. you got all nine. You're good. I'm counting. That's the only way I can do it is to count. So. Against such, I was doing that too. Yeah. It's like I'm missing one. Against such as these, there is no law. Yes. Those who are Christ were crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. Yes. So if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Yep. Let us not become conceited, uh, provoking one another and envying one another. Excellent. Nice job. Well done. Yeah. Boom. Got it. Sean, you know it? Uh, yeah, 25 and 26. 25 and 26, all right. Let's do it. Live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Yes. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and being one another. Yes. Excellent. Good job. Got two down. Nice. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness. Kindness. You're good. Kindness. Eight ninths feels really good, though. That's yes. If we live by the Spirit, we should also walk by the Spirit. Yes. Let us not become conceited, provoke one another, and Galatians 5, Nice. Well done. All right. That's a lot of stuff going on there. All right, Mr. Darla, you got it? You going to bring us home? Don't forget kindness. Kindness is important, right? Well, <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Once it's in there. Once it's in there, it's in there, right? It's lockdown type. Yes. Yep. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace. Long suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness. I'm sorry for the occasion. Yeah. It's goodness. Faith, meekness, and temperance. Ah, temperance. Yes. There you go. Yes. Excellent. Good job. All right. Well done. Thank you all very much. That was good. 
So today, uh, we jump back into systematic theology. So for those of you that have uh, been with us through part of this, then you'll know where I'm going with the Lego sets in the middle. Uh, but I love uh, using uh, physical, concrete examples of things. And, and systematic theology, to me, is most easily described by Lego sets. Because the way we sometimes uh, talk about uh, studying the Bible, if, if, the, if this table is all the passages and stories and accounts in the Bible, and each one of these Lego sets uh, refers to one uh, story that is in the Bible. And we, Caleb actually had a dragon, so we put the dragon in the back where there's a dragon in Revelation. So we'll, we'll get to that in a few weeks or months or whatnot. Uh, and there, we put Wally up front because if you've ever seen the movie Wally, when his eyes droop, it's really sad. So I felt like that's when sin happened and like it's really sad. So that's where Wally's up front. Uh, and then there's a tabernacle, which is a shadow of things to come. And it was, you, we, there's a lot of, I could do this like all day long. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, but what we typically do is we typically pick up one piece of the story of the Bible and we just really, we look and examine and we go, wow, it's amazing. It's got like a tire and it's got, wow, it's got a turret at the top and this is wonderful. Wow, that's pretty cool. And we put it back down. And sometimes we ignore, ignore the larger context of the whole Bible. In systematic theology, what it does is it says, there's a gray piece right there. I wonder what it would look like if we studied all the gray pieces throughout the entire Bible. So instead of looking at the Scripture this way, which is good and right and healthy, we're going to look at the Scripture this way to see what it says about the whole Bible on any given topic. So that's my Lego example of systematic theology for those of you that hadn't heard that yet, which I think is helpful and the kids love it. Because when your kids come in here for Sunday school, they're all like, Y'all are playing with Legos today? And you need to absolutely tell them yes. You need to tell them yes, because that's a good thing. So that's your first blank on your handout, if you missed it. Um, what does the whole Bible teach us today? Systematic theology answers that question. Now, now we have looked at a lot of systematic theology so far. We started back in, uh, uh, let me get to my slides here, so Legos. Uh, we've looked at several different pieces so far. Back in uh, February, March, and April of 2014, we looked at the doctrine of the Word of God, and then we looked at the doctrine of God. Later in 2014, we looked at the doctrine of man in 2015, uh, also the doctrine of application and redemption earlier this year, uh, which is Grudem's way of saying salvation. Uh, and then we get to now the doctrine of the church, and we'll do that uh, through most of August. And then in November, we'll look at... Um, whoops. Got ahead of myself. And then in November, we'll look at uh, the future. And that'll wrap up systematic theology. And that will mean we will have gone through this book, which is kind of cool. So this is the textbook that we're actually using. And we're about 68% through, if I remember my number from my Kindle so far. Uh, and we'll be about another 18 or 20% through when we get done. So, And that is an introduction to systematic theology. So for those of you that feel like we have thoroughly checked this box, no, no, we played scratch and sniff. That's where we're at. So uh, let's look at uh, today's uh, handout, if you would. The, and I want to start off with a couple things. One is we will probably deviate more from what Grudem teaches in this doctrine of the church than any of his other six doctrines. So there are a few things that I would go, eh, I'm going to lean a different direction than he leans, and that's okay. The good thing is that we are discussing good theology and perspectives on good theology. We are not discussing whether Jesus was God or not. Right? That is... That is a problem if we have different perspectives on that. Some of the things that we're going to look at in this series are okay. These are open-handed things. So, 
Uh, Grudem also has a podcast where they recorded him teaching all of these lessons to his Sunday school class in Phoenix. So if you're a podcaster, I would strongly encourage you to go and listen because you hear his heart as he explains these things and he has folks challenge him in class and he, here's my rationale for this and here's my perspective on this. So a lot of, a lot of neat to be um, uh, examined there. So, so that's good. So then we got uh, looking at the nature of the church today. And the, the word that I want you to focus on today is, uh, anybody know what this word is? Ecclesia. Ecclesia, yes. So, so it's pronounced ecclesia. So everybody say it together. Ecclesia, good. And what is it? Does anybody know Spanish? Anybody know Spanish? Yeah, it sounds like iglesia, right? Which is the Spanish word for, I'm getting a wicked hum. Can we turn down a little? It's a Spanish word for? Church, yeah, which is, that's the Greek way to spell church, so it's ecclesia. And the interesting thing is that if you had a Greek copy of the New Testament, um, then every time, every time you see the word, the English word church, the Greek word behind that is ecclesia, which is actually really rare in the New Testament to have a word Every time you see this English word is the exact same Greek word behind it. That is very, very unusual. And it is good to know, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that every time the word ecclesia shows up, it is not necessarily translated church. So it's not a one-to-one correlation. So I want to say that again. So every time you see the English word church, the Greek word behind that is ecclesia. Every time the Greek word ecclesia shows up in the New Testament, it's not necessarily the word church. Now, the easy answer to that is words don't always mean the exact same thing. Right? Do you agree? Okay. Let's take the English word interest. What does that mean? What you pay the bank. What you pay the bank. Right? What else does it mean? Something you like. Yeah. So which, which definition is correct, though? Yes is the answer. Very good. Yes. It's dependent upon the context, right? So, so we'll look at a little bit of that today. Uh, and, and the interesting thing here is that there's a lot of ramifications to this. So let's look at our first definition, number one there, A1. Grudem's definition of the church is the church is the community of all true believers. All true believers. And then these next three words are what is uh, significantly disputed for all time. So this word ecclesia. Now there are some words, there are very few, very, very few words in the Greek language that were coined for Christianity. The vast, vast, vast majority of words that were written in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Greek version of the New Testament, were words that were already in use in society at that time. And they just took them and they ran with it. And this word means, anybody know what it means? Yeah, it's called out or it's, people, it's citizens who are called out together into a public place for an assembly. Now, does that sound like church? People getting together who have been called out for an assembly. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. And that was about as close as a word as they had. So that's what they went with. That's what the Holy Spirit said. We're going to pick this word to identify with the church. Now... One more thing before we kind of get into uh, the, the theology of the church, per se, is that uh, when Jesus quoted the Old Testament, when he was living in the New Testament, when he quoted the Old Testament, 
What language did he quote? Got to vote for Hebrew. Anybody want to vote for anything else? That's partially correct. Not really. Greek, yes. About 90% of the time when Jesus quoted the Old Testament, he used Greek, which is interesting because we, I have told you for years and years and years and years that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Yes. We had a vote for KJV. He had a vote for King James Version, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's, we gotta, we got to work that in somehow, right? Um, I love that translation. Fantastic translation. And, and Darla and I have talked so many times about when we go back and, and relearn verses, I, it, it's just not happening in a different translation because it was beat in and it is there. And I am so thankful, so, so thankful that that is, it's just there. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And about 200 years before Jesus showed up, the Jewish scholars of the day looked around at their culture and they said, our people don't know Hebrew anymore, which was a real problem. Because if you don't know Hebrew, you're not going to be very connected to the Old Testament. So what they did, 70 of them got together. This is the legend. 70 of them got together and they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And the name for that version is the Septuagint. Septa, meaning seven or 70. The Septuagint is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. And that document is what Jesus quotes vastly more often than the actual Hebrew. So, which is one of the things that gives me comfort about saying, well, we have an English translation. We don't have the real Bible. Well, Jesus had a Greek translation, and he sure thought it was. Mic drop, walk off the stage, right? I mean, if another translation is good enough for my Lord, it's good enough for me. I, I'm, I'm good with that, right? So we, we should be comfortable with taking the Word of God and moving it across languages because it's the Spirit of God that protects and preserves and does all those wonderful things, and it's not about us. So Jesus used the Septuagint, and you want to know the reason Grudem, one of the big reasons Grudem believes that the church is the collection of believers, this community of believers for all time you know what the Greek word for the assembly or the congregation in the Old Testament is? Ecclesia. So Grudem looks at the whole of Scripture. He's looking down the table and he's saying, I see this word show up all in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, I see the same word. And it sure feels like the same concept. Now... Before your brains break and you all go, but I've been taught my whole life that the church started in Acts chapter... Oh, you didn't hear that. Um, in Acts chapter 2, yes, and the Holy Spirit comes and there's power and away we go. And Right? You've heard this? Anybody heard this? Yes? You've heard this here in this building many times. Yes. So let's think about something. When was the first Passover? When was the first Passover? In Egypt, right? So if we're looking at the table, it's way back over here, right? And this was an actual meal that God commanded the Israelites to eat in the Old Testament, and it had a meaning, and it was a shadow of things to come, right? All these things are shadows of things to come. These are fleshed out. These are expounded upon. And when Jesus shows up, what does he do with the Passover meal? He celebrates it, right? He, he, he participates in that, and he gives it special 
meaning. He says, this thing you've been doing this whole time is really not about Egypt. It's really about me, which is awesome, right? I mean, this is <laughs> it's like the biggest, the biggest story ever. It's all about Jesus, right? It's not about we got out of slavery. It's about, we got about out of spiritual slavery. It's about his body and his blood and his sacrifice. And Grudem is saying, in a same way as the Passover took on new meaning and new significance in the New Testament. So the church that has always existed as the collection of all believers takes on new significance and a new empowerment and new meaning in the New Testament. And some of you will go, huh? And some of you will go, sure, that sounds great. I want you to struggle with that. I want you to wrestle with that because Grudem is in the substantial minority of evangelicals by holding to that belief substantial minority. Now, we are not going to get into dispensationalism today because I don't have nine hours. <clears throat> if I had nine hours, we'd do dispensationalism today, Dave. Sorry. Hate it for you, brother. Uh, but Grudem would be a non-dispensationalist, for those of you who know what that means. Uh, most of us in this room are dispensationalists without even knowing that we are. It's kind of the way that we think about things. So, so that's my setup for why Grudem defines the church is for all time because this word, and there's other reasons, but this is the primary reason because this word shows up in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to ask for questions on this because we could play Q&A on this for three days. I'm going to ask, does that make sense? Does that seem to make sense? Yeah? All right. Well, let's jump into the actual lesson. That was all preface, so here we go. So... The community of all true believers for all time. Now, here's what I love about this definition. Is Grudem's definition of the church about buildings? No. no. It's about what? People. It's about people. Absolutely. It's about people. So, uh, is the church important? So, do you think the church is important? What do you think? Yes? Yep? So I think the church is important too because Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The church was worth Christ's death. That feels important to me, right? If, if we're making a list of like, what makes something important? Well, in my house, what makes something important is if my wife says, I really like that. Great. It becomes important. If my, walks, my wife walks up to me and says, I will physically die to have that accomplished. Oh boy, we're going to make, I'm going to make that happen, <laughs> right? This is important. And if my wife actually laid her life down and died for something, what do you think I'm going to think about that thing for the rest of my life? I'm going to think that's about as important as it gets. And my Savior laid his life down for the church. So can we all just breathe a second before we run her down, right? This is, this is really, really, really important to Jesus. The New Testament calls the church his bride. Now, I love you guys in here. I know many of you very, very well. But you go talking about that lady in the back that's wearing that beautiful, beautiful dress right here. And we're going to fight. And I'm a mathematician. And, and, we don't, and we don't know how to fight, so I'm going to get dirty. I mean, that just, 
that's just the way that's going to work. So, so is the church important? Yes, the church is important. The church is so, so, so important. So who builds the church? Another really like duh question here, right? Matthew 16, 18. Uh, and I say to you, this is uh, Jesus speaking. You're Peter and on this rock. I will build my church. So who builds the church? Jesus builds the church, yeah. It's his. He's married to her. He's building us. Great. I'm going to be careful how I talk about the church. This is important. So number two there, the church is... Now we're going to get a little technical. You ready? We're going to get a little technical. So don't, don't spaz out on me. The church is invisible yet visible. Invisible yet visible. It sounds like I'm being contradictory, but not really. So let's look at a couple of definitions. The invisible church is the church as God sees it. Now, 2 Timothy 2.19 talks about the Lord knows those who are His. So if we use that definition of the community of all true believers, who is the only one that can see who is a true believer? God's the only one that can see who is a true believer, right? So there is an invisible kind of view to the church where we're really not sure. We kind of think we know. Because, right? I mean, there's some marks that say if you live a life this way and you profess these things and looks like you're a believer. But do I know for sure? Not God. So I need to be careful about making assessments and judgments on that. But God knows. And then there's a visible component. And the visible component is the church as Christians on earth see it. So if you had to guess... What percentage of people that will show up in this building this morning are actual true believers? What would you say? Seventy, eighty percent? I would love that. I think that'd be great. You wouldn't say two or three percent, right? Would, could we agree? Would we agree? It would probably likely not be two to three percent. If you showed up at a, uh, I don't know, Another, uh, a random, uh, the airport, that's a good one. You just show up at the airport. There's a lot of people at Atlanta, uh, Hartsfield uh, Airport, right? You show up at the airport on one day. What, would you expect there to be a larger percentage of Christians at a church or at an airport? Church. I would hope at a church, right? At any church? No. Then that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about What's true, true church, what's not true, what's pure, what's not pure. Um, and why is this the case? Well, because there's going to be wolves. Uh, Acts 20, 29 and 30, For know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves are coming. So Jesus says, savage wolves are coming. And, and aware here in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but initially they are ravenous wolves. So savage wolves and ravenous wolves. Now, I lived in the country just long enough to know that I don't want any part of wolves, and you deal with wolves with rifles. You don't deal with wolves with cages, and you trap them, and you let them go somewhere else. You shoot them in the head. This is how you deal with wolves. Right? Now, I am not suggesting that we go shoot pagans in the head. I'm not suggesting that we go shoot those that teach false doctrine in the head. I am suggesting, though, that we be very clear about how we deal with this, right? Now, should this make us panic? No. Are you kidding me? The wolves are on the wrong side. <laughs> I love it. The wolves are, the wolves are not going to win. Who's going to win? 
Jesus is going to win. Yes, he's absolutely going to win. Uh, Calvin said this about this danger of being overly suspicious of people. He said, we must make a charitable judgment whereby we recognize as members of the church all who by confession of faith, by example of life, and by partaking of the sacraments profess the same God in Christ with us. So there's some level of, look, we're just not going to go around panicked all the time about who's the church and who's not the church. So it's invisible, yet it's visible. Number three, it's local and universal. It's local and universal. Yes, I saw that, Dave, and I almost included that. But I wasn't sure I could do it without having to talk some about it. So, so that's why I'm going to close that without talking about it. All right. So some of you send me text messages while I teach Sunday school, and sometimes I address it and sometimes I don't, and sometimes I laugh. So if you ever see me just randomly laugh, somebody's probably sent me a text message that's really funny. So I really want to talk about the Brexit, and I'm not going to get to talk about the Brexit, but that's okay. That's okay. All right. Jumping back in. The church is local and universal. Uh, I want you to see a couple of verses up here. So Romans 16.5 talks about the church in their house. So so a couple questions here. How big do you have to be to be a church? How small can you be to be a church? Well, there was a church in a house. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, there was a church at Corinth, right? So it's a city. Uh, Acts 9, 31, church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. This is a region. So you can have a church in a house, a church in a city, a church in a region. And then Ephesians 5, 25, what we've already looked at, the church in general, like for all. So when the New Testament uses the word church, that ecclesia, it's not always clear about which one it's talking about. Now, if you read the context, it's generally pretty clear, pretty quickly, are we talking about a single congregation or the larger church as universal church? Does this make sense? So when you see the word church, it could be very, very local, could be very, very big. So keep your uh, thinking caps on when you go through that. Now, number four is what I really wanted to get to today, and these are the metaphors for the church. So you'll notice that this is the only section on your handout that's highlighted, right? So guess what that means? We're going to look them up. There we go. So here's what I've got. Uh, these verses are grouped together. So who's got the most number of people at a table? So I've got three, six over here. I've got six over here. All right. You guys are table one because you've got the most verses. So you have the verses from 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, all the way to 2 Corinthians 11, 2, which is a big chunk of them. And most of the other tables just have one verse. All right. Table 2, Tim, John 15, 5. Table 3 in the back corner over here, Romans 11, 17 through 24. Table 4, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. Jules, you got one verse. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Justin, you got it? <laughs> Table 6 here, Matthew 13, 1 through 30, and John 4, 35. Table 7. Now, you've got two things you're looking for here. There's two metaphors. This is a tough one. Uh, Table 8, Hebrews 3, 3 and 6. Table 9, in the back, Callisons, you've got one verse, 1 Timothy 3, 15. And then Table 10, 1 Corinthians 12 to Colossians 2, 19. Here's what you are looking for. You are looking for the metaphor that the author is using to describe the church. So what picture is the author using to describe the church? Now, so for some of you, this is going to be extraordinarily simple because it's like, the church is this. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> All right, so I'll give you a sec to work through those.
All right, what table thinks they've come to an end? You, you got to talk with each other to get this, too. So, is a good thing. That's, All right, we're going to start at the end and work our way back. So we'll start with 10 because one, you guys got like swamped with verses. But it kind of ought to be pretty straightforward. What, like the one metaphor? Can we start with y'all? You think you're good? Start with one? Yeah? If you had one word to describe all those verses, what's the metaphor? Family, yeah. The church is a family. You talk about brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and how, I mean, it's like the church is a family. And there's something that we can learn from the church being a family. Just table two. We all, now, table two, you guys serve the best chicken scallopini in Chattanooga, just so you know that. I hope you know this, right? Is it still open? It's not. They closed. It was the best chicken scallopini in the whole... Oh, it was so good. Anyway, so... Uh, sorry, that's a food joke. It's okay. John 15, 5. So what's the metaphor here? Talking about... Grapevine. Yeah, there's a vine, right? There's, there's vine and branches, right? So we're connected to something. So the idea is that the church is connected to something that's bigger than itself. Table three was in the back. Is that right? An olive tree, yes. So not just any old tree, but an olive tree. So there's something special about olives. So maybe that wants us to go look up olives and see what's going on there. Is this table four? What was table four? A field, right? So there's, there's fields and, and there's like buildings back there, I think. Yep. But there's sowing and yes, right? Excellent. And then First uh, Corinthians three nine, filled in buildings. Yep, good, good. And table five was. Is this you, Miss Starla? Yes. No. Who was five? I just did five. Six. Yep. Sorry. Seeds. Seeds. Yep. So there's seeds. So this is something that starts off. Did the seed create itself? No. Nope. Does the seed grow by itself? Nope. The seed needs help. Seed grows. Seed grows up to look like something that it supposed to go look like, right? So there's all kinds of things to be learned there. Table seven, you had two things. This is tough. Got all the college kids over here at this table, so <laughs> need that extra brain power. Yeah, we were the living stones building a spiritual house. Yes, the living stones and a spiritual house, which is kind of cool, right? Because the living stone was the last time you saw a living stone. Most of these things that I can relate to, living stones, not so much, right? So some of the metaphors are tough. Some of them are pretty straightforward. Uh, table eight, was this right here? House, yes. Excellent, very good. Table nine. Pillars, yes, right? Pillars. So there's some, there's some stability. There's some foundational elements. There's some ideas there, right? And then 1 Corinthians 12 to Colossians 2.19. The body. Were you wondering if we were going to get to the body? Now, the body, the body one is really tricky because there's two different metaphors in the New Testament for the body. One of the metaphors for the church in the New Testament is one body, right? And there's, it talks about different parts of the body and how we all work together. And there's a whole other metaphor where it talks about the body as Christ is the head. So in one of the metaphors, it talks about some people are the eyes and some people are the ears. And in a whole different metaphor, it says Christ is the head. And you're going, wait, wait, which one's right? Yeah. There's a lot of figurative language in the Bible that helps us understand the complexities and the nature of the church. And this is not even an exhaustive list. So there's a bunch more. That, like when Grudem says there's more and I didn't get to him, he doesn't do that. 
Okay, he's done it like three times, and I'm on page what is 690 or whatever it is. I mean, he just he doesn't do that. So this must be gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of these things. So those are the metaphors. That's point number four: metaphors for the church. And then we don't have time to talk about church in Israel, although that's a lot of fun. Uh, and we also don't have time to talk about the church in the kingdom of God. So in case you're wondering, uh, you don't see. I don't even think I put five and six on your. Did I put five and six on your handout? No, I just skipped them. Yeah. Uh, but the church is not the same thing as the kingdom of God. So the church is people. The kingdom of God is not people. But, so big point B is the marks of the church or distinguishing characteristics. Number one, there are true churches and false churches. There are true churches and false churches. And the question Grudem asks is, what does it take to be a church? Like what, what do you have to have to be a church? So it feels like you've got to have people. That would be helpful, right? It feels like you've got to have uh, people coming together every once in a while. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, so that, uh, like a fans cheering on a football team accomplishes that, right? You got people coming together once in a while. What else you got to have? Believers. Would help if they're believers, yeah. That'd be helpful. Holy Spirit. Per, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it would help if there was some pl- proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. All right, so believers who come together on a regular basis and preach the gospel, so Salvation Army? Fellowship of Christian Athletes? What else do we do at church that we don't do anywhere else? Take a ball. <laughs> this is true. You haven't been to a fundraiser lately, have you? <laughs> What's that? I heard it. Communion. Where else do you do communion? Very rare. Now, some of you are going, like, well, I do communion in the Emmaus community. Okay. What do you not do in the Emmaus community? You don't do baptism, right? So the ordinances of the church, the sacraments of the church, we don't do those anywhere. We rarely, rarely, rarely do you see that done anywhere else other than inside the context of the church. So Grudem goes on to spend a lot of time talking about what's a true church and what's a false church. Um, and a lot of this comes out of the actually the Reformation because the, the question then when... Uh, when these guys were coming to realization that what the Catholic Church is teaching is not necessarily in complete alignment with what the Scripture says, well, then what's the list of things that you got to have to be a real church? And Luther and Calvin and several others came to the conclusion that it basically a true church preaches the gospel and practices the ordinances. And that's kind of the summary there. So there's gobs and gobs of quotes if you want to go in the uh, teacher handout and look. All right, so now have we talked about rat poison yet? No. All right. Let's talk about rat poison. So there is such a thing as a true church and false churches. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Can you think of any false churches in America today? Yes. I think uh, Sean gave us a, he, like, there was, if there was ever a T for me to speak on this uh, topic, it was last week, so thank you for that. Uh, and you talked about what church? Jehovah's. Jehovah's Witness Church, right? So I've got four glasses, and this to me represents uh, four different types of churches. So this first glass has... Warm water. <clears throat> Nothing quite like it. There you go. Uh, and the second glass, I've got some water. But not just a little water, but I've got some fun stuff. I'm not going to put a lot of dirt in there. Just a little bit of dirt, right? Just a little bit of dirt. Anybody want a sip? No? Okay. So this is, just, this is just representative of like a little bit of... There's a little bit of bad theology here, but not like a ton of bad theology, right? We've got some. 
And then there's some churches that, oh, let's just go all in. Let's just go all in, right? Like, come on with it. Like, this is sludge and mud. Anybody want to play? Anybody want to play? And then, then we have churches on the end here that are not just dirty. This is rat poison. Right? So we're going to put, we're going to put some rat poison in this one. What will rat poison do to you? It'll kill you dead. Yeah. That's the way my daddy explained it to me when I was about three. Because we lived on a farm and we had a lot of rats. And he said, you don't touch it. You don't ever touch it. Which is why I'm not even taking it out of the package. Because it kind of scares me a little bit. All right? I'm 40 years old. I'm still scared of this stuff, right? Dad, you did a great job. I appreciate that. He sometimes listens to these. So I have to talk about him once in a while. Um, anybody want to drink this one? Would you agree that there are some churches that are not true churches that teach this kind of theology? Yeah. You, you gulp this down, it will kill you spiritually. There is no life here. And, and sometimes the water looks clear. Because I didn't put any dirt in this one. Now the reality is this is sludge. It's like toxic waste over here. Yes, there are absolutely. Now, the interesting thing is, this doesn't exist. So let's just make sure we're all clear. This doesn't exist on earth right now. My theology does not look like this. My theology, I hope, like on a good day, I, like this would be awesome. <laughs> like, that's great. I just, like at least I could be able to see through, right? I mean, that doesn't even move. That's nasty. Oh. It doesn't smell that great either, by the way, so just in case you're wondering. So when we talk about true and false churches, I feel really confident that if you're not preaching the gospel, I feel like you've got some rat poison going on. But there is a wide spectrum of stuff here that we need to be very careful about because we might just have incredibly unhealthy true churches that we're talking about. So I want to I have a lot of grace but at the same time, we're holding the truth. We've got to hold fast to the truth. Does this make sense? Yeah? So did I open up the rat poison and endanger anybody's lives? No. I want that on the tape, right? No danger to anyone's life. Uh, Justin and I were talking about this before I started, and he's like, well, what if kids got into it? I was like, yeah, I'm not opening the package then. Okay, that's great. We've got to leave that alone, right? There's some level of safety that's involved here. So here's my pretty little graphic for this. Um, there's true churches and there's false churches. I also do not believe that this is representative proportionally of the number of true churches versus the number of false churches. There's just, I feel like you can be a true church here with some dirt and very dirty, but these uh, perfect health and pure, that it's, it's just not here. And if you think that's Stuart Heights, hang around a few days. <laughs> and we will, we will clearly demonstrate that that is not the case. Um, but we want to be, that'd be great, but it's just, it's just not what it is. All right, so one more thing, the purposes of the church. Now, Grudem, I, I know this is going to shock you, but there are a lot of different perspectives on what the purposes of the church are. So I'm going to run down through these very quickly. Uh, number one for Grudem is ministry to God. He would call this worship, right? He would call this worship. And then uh, the second is ministry to believers. He would call this nurture, nurture. And then the third is ministry to the world, evangelism and mercy. So I want to show you that 
This is not the opposite of what we teach here at Stewart Heights. So here's Grudem's three areas. It's really four, but he combined evangelism and mercy. It felt like he had to fit it into a three-point sermon or something. I don't, I don't Maybe he ran out of space on the PowerPoint. But So you got Grudem over here, and this is Warren. And who is Warren? Rick Warren, yes. Gary did not invent these. All right? <laughs> Even though Rick Warren told everybody, you go tell people that you did this. That's great. I was like, that's not, no, don't do that. But worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, service, the purposes of our church, right? W-I-F-E-S, a wife's responsibility. So how does worship map? Yeah, worship maps to worship very cleanly, right? I mean, that's just pretty straightforward. How does nurture map? Well, nurture is instruction and fellowship and the internal side of service. So when I do something for somebody inside the church, Grudem would say that's how it kind of maps to service. And then the evangelism and mercy, well, evangelism is obviously evangelism. And then that mercy is the external service outside the walls of the church. So the same stuff, they use the same verses, they just categorize it differently. So I, I show you this to do one thing. Don't freak out when you see a different structure that teaches fundamentally the same thing. <gasps> they don't believe in wives. They probably do. They just like acronyms without apostrophes in them. It's okay, you know? It's, <laughs> I do too, but that's okay. So, so there's a very, very clean mapping here. Uh, Dave Barber actually came up with one when you were in seminary, right? That was pretty stinking close to this, but it was a little bit different. As worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression of spiritual gifts. Expression of spiritual gifts, which would include right. evangelism and service, right? It's not a purpose of the church. It's Yes. So the, um, I would argue with you, but I will, I will say that I'm okay with that. Because open hand, right? Right. All right. Who makes up the church? Individual believers. All right. Does it, is it okay if we put it here? We put it, I don't really care. It's okay. We're talking the same language. Does this make sense? All right. So I've gone 900 miles an hour today. I appreciate you staying glued for that. Uh, I think, did I get through all the blanks? I felt like I skipped a blank. Oh, yeah. What happens if we just decide we want to be all about instruction and nothing else? Yeah, out, of out of balance, absolutely. Out of balance. So does every single believer have to be perfectly one-third, one-third, one-third of these? Or one-fifth, one-fifth? No, not at all. The church needs to be in balance. Individual believers can have different areas of focus. So which one of these five over here on the right do you think I focus on more than any other? Instruction. Instruction. I teach. Yeah. Um, do I worship? Yeah. Do I fellowship? Yeah. Do I evangelize? Yeah. Do I serve? Yeah. But like this is, I think, what God's called me to do more than anything else. Does that mean we all have to do that? No. No. Not at all. Not at all. The church needs to be balanced. Individual believers can have areas of emphasis as the Spirit leads. Make sense? All right. That should be the longest lesson in the doctrine of the church, I think. 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 So on your tables is a weekly handout, weekly update. So if you will grab that, uh, pray over those prayer requests, add any new ones that you have. Make sure your name is at the bottom of the list. And thank you for coming to Sunday School today.